Hey, what do you know about uh, people live next door to me? Sam? Yeah. Great tits. <laughs> <laughs> You're telling me. Welcome to Blood and Black Rum Podcast Halloween 2022 Special. This year we're craving some Cronenberg. We're bringing you Wes Craven and David Cronenberg movies all Halloween season from September to October 31st. Experience the visceral thrills with movies like A Nightmare on Elm Street, Rabbit, Last House on the Left, and more. Hey guys, welcome back to the Blood and Black Rum Podcast. I'm Ryan from Coltsploitation.com, and I'm joined with my co-host Martin. How's it going? Hey, we're doing well. We are uh, nearly to October, and we're... What, what is this, the fourth or fifth episode that we're doing now of uh, oh, the Craven some Cronenberg? We're on number five. Number five, yeah. yeah. We're, we're, we're over halfway through. And uh, last time we did Cronenberg, so of course this time we're doing Craven. And like I had said in the previous episode, with Cronenberg, we kind of went in sort of like a chronological order. Um, with Craven, we're doing no such thing. Kind of jumping all over the place with him. Um, covering some, some things here or there, early, late, um, previously. It makes me glad we're not doing just Cronenberg because uh, Craven's saving everything. Yeah. <laughs> you think so? So far, yeah. 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 We, uh, we, like, last time we when we did Craven, we did The Last House on the Left, and that was his first movie, his, his earliest uh, director. Not, not his first film. Well, not not his first. Uh, not his first that he worked on, worked on porn. But his first director uh, directing a, a, an actual movie, uh, you know, a cinematic movie. Uh, porn's movies, too. I'll say that. Especially since... Um, you get they offloaded on to 70s uh you know films to you left and right you know the silent uh 30 millimeters yep <laughs> so um this time instead of doing like one of craven's earlier movies we're actually gonna jump jump in time a little bit a uh, little bit uh later into the 80s actually this would be um Probably, I don't know, I can't remember now if I would went to go back and count, of course I could give you a number, but this is going to be one of his, probably like his 10th maybe, 10th film. Um, is this? Yeah. You counting? You counting it up? Se- yep, 7th. Oh, 7th, okay. Um, and, he, you know, at this, t- at this point in his career, in 1986, he'd already had a few big hits. I mean... Last House on the Left wasn't necessarily a hit for him, but then he went on to do The Hills of Eyes in 1977, uh, and that was pretty big for him. And then he had a couple of TV gigs. Um, summer, like in the uh, late 70s and early 80s, uh, TV movies were a really, really big thing. Um, and a lot of times they like to push the envelope a little bit with like the the Saturday night horror movie and, <laughs> yeah. and generally they were not very good um you know but they were things to watch and literally what else did you have to tune into you had like three stations like what's on the other one news all right guess i'm not watching that so 
Wes Craven's Summer of Fear it is. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, you know, you didn't have a lot better to do, so you tuned into the TV movies. And, and uh, Craven did a couple of those. He did Summer of Fear in 1978. He did uh, Invitation to Hell in 1984. And then he did um, Chiller in 1985. Uh, and that would have been just a year later after A Nightmare on Elm Street, which was his really big breakthrough. We, we covered that in the first episode of the show uh, for the Craven's and Cronenberg month. Um, so after that, in 1986, Craven returned with Deadly Friend. And as we discussed in the last episode, this is the second of the Deadly series for Mr. Craven. Uh, he did Deadly Blessing in 1981, and he returned to deadliness with Deadly Friend. Um, I thought you were going to say uh, WWE's 1998 pay-per-view uh, uh, Survivor Series. It's a deadly game. Because <laughs> it's a deadly game. Lots of, lots of deadly deadly movies out there, especially in the uh, 80s for slasher movies. Deadly well, games. Lo- after this, a lot of uh, films with psycho companions, robots, mm-hmm. antics, gremlin noises. Sure. You know... Deadly Friend is a is a weird movie. It's a an outlier in Wes Craven's output, I would say. It's kind of like a it's a different film for him. Um and it's certainly one that does feel very 80s. Uh, and we'll probably talk about all of the ways that that it feels like an 80s movie um as we get into the the film itself, but um you had never seen Deadly Blessing, right? Deadly, Deadly Blessing. Deadly Friend. Not only have I never seen it, I've never even fucking heard of it. Oh, okay. And you have never... You've never seen the memes from Deadly Friend, I, no. I assume, then. Well, I don't traipse Fangoria Reddit like you do. Well, one of the scenes in this movie has kind of, like, been memed up online. Um, to a certain extent, you know. It's definitely not, like, one of those, like, you know... Uh, mainstream memes but it is something that you know has come up here and there and that you you can see sometimes in gifs but um i actually had never seen deadly friend either um i had known about it of course and i know about the memes and i know you know the scene that what's the, well what's the meme uh, do you want i should reveal it right now shouldn't i wait until we get into the movie proper to do we okay, talk about guess- it do we really ever tease? But I guess we, we'll tease this. <laughs> we'll tease. Um, we, go, we go straight on in. Yeah. Man first. But, um, yeah, I'd never seen this movie before, uh, which is surprising. Despite having it on Blu-ray yep. for seven years? No, it just came out, like, last year. Oh, okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, I have had it, but, it, it, yeah, it came out last year. It wasn't, it's not like I've had it for years or anything. Um, but, yeah, it's one that I've um, meant to check out. Um, and it, it, you know, kind of interestingly too, I feel like, um, my dad did have this on VHS. Uh, I don't remember at all seeing it. The, the, um, the poster artwork does look familiar to me. I was saying, not just at your dad's video store, but in general, Mm -hmm. like it's, it's, I, I don't think it's ever been aired on TV. Mm -mm. If it has, it's gotta be like at the weirdest uhf station still you know <laughs> no i don't i don't think it's ever like um any of their major tran- channels it, it has it aired i don't think so but I, like i don't even like remember like any artwork for mm. it or anything you know like uh what, you know traipsing about a video store and seeing like you know all the 
box art because there's a, like you know there's a lot of stuff like uh, Candyman and Ice Cream Man and you know memorable uh, powder. Uh, there's a joke at work the other day about one of the guys looking like powder, and uh, <laughs> I don't remember the movie at all, but I remember that goddamn box art like that like there's no tomorrow. And when somebody said the guy looked like powder, I was like, ah, that makes sense. Yeah, he does look like <laughs> from the box art, you know, sticks out for you know forever and ever. This this is you know it's not bad box art, but it's you know the it's very traditional mid eighties uh, like poltergeist uh, phenomena. Yeah, actually, like like the the poster that's on IMDb, you really wouldn't know what the fuck this movie's about it has it really tells you nothing about what what this movie's about um you know that it's the one where christy swanson's character in artwork is like in a window and the curtains are yes blowing same, outward uh, same one from wikipedia uh, it's on there. yes hey, you- um and that tells you absolutely like that is actually misleading to the film it really doesn't have anything to oh, do it's with about it's about a psychic yeah right yeah that's kind and of her like, her mystical adventures and it makes the film look a lot more serious than it really is too like it makes it look like oh this is gonna be you know this is another nightmare on elm street from west craven very serious no it's not it's not at all um yeah definitely a misleading poster artwork on that one and it probably would be a reason why people would pick this up and then be like what the fuck there's a robot this robot come from that font reminds me of a lot of like uh, April Fool's uh, font mm, yeah, it poster does. with like yeah. the table, you know, with the table. Yeah, and, yeah, good uh, catch. Because there's a lot of there's a lot. Of, I don't think it's directly influenced by all the films that kind of ran through my head while watching it. But this film like apes a lot from like your stereotypical mid '80s film. Oh yeah, yeah, it does. Um, if you look at there's a nut so there's another poster artwork, um, which has Christy Swanson on the cover, and she has her hands out, and her one hand is peeling away, revealing like circuitry underneath, and I, I feel like my dad had that VHS because that looks really familiar to me, and it looks to it almost reminds me of an Are You Afraid of the Dark episode. Cool. Which one? Um, I don't know. There, I think I feel like there's an episode of maybe I'm misremembering. I feel like there's one where a girl turns into a robot or something like that. Um, paparazzi. I can't remember now. Uh, but I I feel like it's it's one of those where like one of them turns into a robot. Um. Okay. Let's take a break real quick and talk about the beer that we have on the show today. We went different today. We didn't get just another Oktoberfest where we could talk about, mm, yeah, it's pretty good. It's malty. It's tastes like fall, <laughs> which is pretty much what all of our um, our rundowns of Oktoberfest boil down to. Um, today, we have something a little bit different. Uh, and to be honest with you, it is not a beer style that I am generally a big fan of. Um the actual like the, the the genre i don't know what you call them the the overall genre style of this beer would be considered a pastry stout which is fine with me i like pastry stouts i don't however like specifically peanut butter pastry stouts now and that's what we have 
here's the preface to that. Uh, Ryan lived his sad, pathetic life for 32 years thinking he had a severe peanut allergy like his father. Um, it's not true. So, he, unlike us regular human beings who can sit down and be like, Oh, Reese's, how delightful. Snickers? It's like a Milky Way with the nougat and all, but being better by the nuts. Hasn't had that joy until recently, so he's a curmudgeon of an old man. You know, set in his ways, thinking that peanut butter is poison when it's actually it's a delightful little treat from God. Do I like Werther's? Absolutely. Do I enjoy... Um... Whoa, whoa, how, whoa okay, how... Stop. I'm going to cut you off right there. How dare you compare fucking butterscotch to peanut butter? No, well, I'm just saying you call me a curmudgeonly old man. I'm saying, do I like Werther's? Absolutely. Do I like... Um, those little caramel chews that you get, like for Halloween, that you normally boil down into caramel. Yes, I do. Give me all of those. I'll put I'll stuff in my mouth, and then what about those little extremely those, thirsty? But what about those nice strawberry hard candies that turn into like jelly as you mm, suck on? No, them? don't really enjoy those that much. Oh, so that's, that's I don't know anybody lot. that really enjoys those. When they throw those at you at the parade, you're like throwing them back. <laughs> you're just trying to Same get them thing. back in the truck. Well, how about candy corn? You like, uh, you like- yeah, I do like candy corn, actually. Oh yep. Um, not not like, I'm not going to go, you know, wholeheartedly to the bowl and be like, I'm cleaning this bowl out. <laughs> I fucking love candy corn. But you I, should, because uh, you know what? The person who has that whole bowl of candy corn is literally putting it out there for people like you to be like, yeah, go ahead. Take, take, take the whole fucking that's thing. That's true. And you know. <laughs> with rid the, me of this sin. With candy corn, too, like, I find that my interest in it wanes over the course of the season. So... You know, like when it's first turning fall and and Halloween, yeah, I'm going for the candy corn. And then as it starts getting further into Halloween, I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna double the candy corn, um, because it isn't something that has like staying power for me. I don't, I don't love it day in day out. Um, but I will have some candy corn. Don't get me wrong. And I like like the autumn mix and like the little fall pumpkins and I like that stuff. Just you know, I don't don't need it every day. Uh, what we have on the show today, though, is something that we I think we talked about briefly on the on the podcast. One that we had interest in, and we had hoped that would come around, and we've now got it. And um, as you know, we we cover a lot of Amagang beers. Amagang being a local brewery that's uh, from our area, and not just our area, Cooperstown, Coop, New York, Cooperstown, the the nicest place in all of the land. <laughs> And um, this one they did as part of their OMG series, which we've covered like every single OMG beer that they've put out so far. Except Neon Lights, I think. Yeah, Neon Lights is the only one we missed. Um, but we, we've really done most of them and have been really interested in what they've been doing. Um, and in this case, they've put out a Halloween beer, which I thought was really cool because not very many people do Halloween beers. Like they do fall beers, they do Oktoberfest, they do autumn stuff. You know, autumn brown ales and things like that, but not a Halloween beer. Um, this one is specifically a Halloween beer. It's called All Hallows Treat, and it's an imperial chocolate peanut butter stout. And so right there for me, you know, the peanut butter itself was like a turnoff for me. Uh, but I see what they're going for. The can is decked out. It looks like a creep show or a Tales from the Crypt style artwork. It's very cool. I love the can. I have an inclination that I'm going to keep this can. I'm going to save one of them. Yeah, because I think it, it is definitely a really cool can, and I don't know if there will ever be any more that we'll get. So the can is really cool. If you if, if you get a chance to take a look, 
Um, I might even I can I might be able to post it as like a photo on the 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 show um, information too. Um, the thing that really turned me off, like I said, is the the peanut butter because I'm not a huge peanut butter fan. I have had a few peanut butter beers. Um, I've had like a peanut butter. Like, uh, I think it was like a peanut butter ale, something like it was just made with peanut butter, some sort of like regular ale with peanut butter, um, which did have like a slight peanut butter flavor, but I could put up with it. Um, and I have tried a few peanut butter stouts, uh, and generally they have just not really been for me, like something that I would really go out of my way to get. Um, but I had to get this one because of the Halloween aesthetic to it. And... I'm interested to know what do you think about this uh, Halloween beer that's supposed to be like a almost like a Reese's peanut butter cup. Very disappointed in the three and a quarter you gave it for Untapped. That's just sad. It's very sad. Maybe it's because we're getting close to Halloween. Maybe it's because the weather's right. It's nice and cold and windy. The leaves are turning. But this is a very good. Very delightful beer. Uh, if you've followed us on the podcast, again, as Ryan said earlier uh, in the preamble, we do a lot of Amagang. Um, and they're not really known for their stouts. They've done a couple, but not anything really ever too remarkable. Mainly known for their Belgians and for, you know, some of their kind of take ton IPAs. Mm-hmm. This is delightful. It hits all the notes that I would want in a stout of this type for a stout to kind of give me that nice fall feel as ryan said the artwork alone on the can is makes it worthwhile because it's like a nice delightful halloween tales from the crypt uh crypt keeper-esque you know can it's beautiful looking um the beer itself let's take another nice sip it's seven to 7.6%. You really wouldn't be able to tell from it. It's very smooth. Very easy to drink. Nice and chocolatey. Very nice, like, dark cocoa, like, nibs, like, dark chocolate. You get definitely a nice peanut butter taste. It says, like, a vanilla swirl. For me, that vanilla with that combination makes for, like, a much more marshmallowy taste to it. Almost like a nice chocolate peanut butter cup s'mores. Nice little bits of like kind of graham cracker too. This is great. This is what I would want to have on a nice cold night, sitting by the bonfire, talking to friends before COVID <laughs> about things you can do by a bonfire. I like this a lot. I think this is like a top tier, not just chocolate peanut butter stout, but a stout in general. It's very good, smooth. The mouthfeel on it's nice and silky. It's easy to drink, even for being an Imperial. The chocolate, the peanut butter, the vanilla, the marshmallow, graham cracker, all combines into one delightful, delightful treat. This is a top-tier pastry stout. And we've done a couple of them. So yeah, I would say if you have this in your area, definitely check it out. Even if you don't like it, get it because the cans look fucking great. Yeah. You can have it as something, it's like a little knick-knack on your shelves so yeah. like, like when they're like hey what's this and you're like well, I have a I have a Halloween beer for you true I like it a lot so it's it's a shame that you've been stolen of 
you know, a joy of peanut butter. Because even the <laughs> peanut butter on it's not even that... It's not even really that strong. It's more chocolatey. It's definitely a lot more chocolatey. And more, like, kind of marshmallowy than it is peanut buttery. Yeah. So, that's... I do like this beer. I think that it's it's a it's a pretty good beer um, for what I would consider you know from a peanut butter stout. I think that the stout itself has a really great base to it. Um, Game does make a good stout, and you know they don't do it often, but they do have a couple stouts that they've made. Um, and the chocolate does come out a little bit here too. It's just a you know a very rich beer. The the peanut butter is mild. You're right, and I think that that does make the difference here, and the reason why I am able to put up with it, <laughs> um, because I do still taste it. Like I definitely do still get a lot of that peanut butter, and that's that definitely is a me problem. That comes from me not having peanut butter for most of my life, and now anytime I do have peanut butter, like even if it's just like a very small amount of peanut butter in something, I still taste it. I I can still tell. Like I know immediately, and that just has to do with not ever having it, um, and so it just stands out. So, it's a me problem, but I do think that this is a pretty good beer on its own, especially for people that do like peanut butter. Um, I think they're going to like this as a peanut butter stout. I haven't, like I said, I haven't had a lot of peanut butter stouts, so I can't really say, you know, is Gang doing this style, like, particularly well as opposed to someone else. Um, But I do think that they've done a really good job with uh, crafting this and attempting to, like, replicate what a... Hallow- a traditional Halloween candy would be, you know, because obviously this time they're going for uh, Reese's peanut butter cups. I would like to see like next year that they do like All Hallows Treat Part Two and they kind of go with like a different Halloween candy. I think that Mr. would be Good- a really cool Mi- idea. A Mr. Good Bar. Mr. Good Bar. Who who wants that? You know what? I know people at work that love Mr. Good Bar. That's why I said like really. You know what? That's that's that. The only time you see Mister Goodbar is when it's Halloween. And right, because they get... try to like stuff <laughs> stuff them into the bag with like they because Halloween candy is super expensive, so the, you always get like the pack and the pack is kind of always stuffed with. It's got like some good stuff in it, and then like there's like a thousand Mister Goodbars in there too. It's like, like the, as much as I love crackles, cr- it's a far less candy compared to Crunch Bars. Yeah. Um... I'm not even huge fans of, like, the Crunch Bars in general. Well, you just don't like Crisp Rice. I do like Crisp Rice. I don't know why I'm not... I'll have to try them again. I haven't really had a Crunch Bar in a long time, so... I was eating. The, I was eating the other day at work, nice Butterfinger, and it was delightful. I'm, um, a, I'm a Milky Way guy. And I... Well, it's, again, well, you're wrong, because a Snickers is better. It's a Milky Way, <laughs> but with nuts. As I'm eating the Butterfinger, though... Which, it's good, but it's, like, flaky and falls apart too easily. All I can think in my head is, like, why did they ever get rid of Butterfinger BBs? Just mm. bring back fucking Butterfinger BBs, you sack of shit. You know what I want I want to see next year from Mama Gang? All Hallows Treat, Junior Mints. <laughs> is Kramer going to be on there? Yeah, <laughs> right. But I, I, they're I'm, sweet, they're juicy, they're minty, they're... I am serious though. I do. I would like to see like next year they do a like a new one, right? Like they do like a, a sour kind of, apple. Yeah, do like do a series of like this is what makes us think of Halloween candy or Halloween treats, and they do like a series of these. I think that would be extremely cool. Kind of set them apart from some of the other breweries that really don't do anything with Halloween. Um, the only other one that I know that does like a really big thing with Halloween is Ingenious, which we don't get, which is in um, uh, Texas. 
and they do the the monster cereals. Oh, I know. When you posted that, that did make me. Isn't that awesome? Like, they do. I like, know it's awesome. They do all get, of we, the monster cereals. I say because we get around here, like you know, the warheads from artisanal stuff that makes you reminiscent, but like the Frankenberry and the Count Chocula and the Booberry, you know, like as beers. That, yeah, I, I mean, and I'm not a fan of any of those cereals. I think they all taste like dog shit. But <laughs> which, by the way, the other day at the store, I saw them all except Yummy Mummy. Yummy Mummy's not out this year. I saw the Boo Bear. They only did Fruit Brute this year. I didn't see Fruit Brute this year. Yeah, Fruit Brute is the one that they're doing this year. I, I don't know why. Like, what what was it about Yummy Mummy that they didn't want to bring back? Was it just like too much to handle to do in, to do both of those series <laughs> nothing, at the same time? Nothing will ever be like 15 years ago when we're walking down the streets of, of Gloversville and you see in the street as like Halloween's rolling up. A, it's like early September, and you're like, I think as we were going down to back when it used to be Gianna's, a box of Captain Crunch Halloween, and it was all ravaged in the street, and you're like, who would do such a thing? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're like, I've been looking for this all year, and I can't fucking find it. Like, it's just an empty box just lying in the street. Yeah, I do remember un- that. Unattended. Traumatizing. And then we went to the bar and waited two hours to get a drink. It's great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. So that's all Hollis Treat. Hopefully you um, are able to find this. Uh, if you live it, in New York, get the damn thing. Yeah. I really think it's, it's definitely a really cool can. I will give it that. And then the beer itself, too, is fairly good. <laughs> Especially if you like peanut butter. I think you'll, you'll enjoy it more than I do. It's damn, it's damn good. Especially seeing as, like, in my head, when I think of all my gang stouts, I think of the fucking Game of Thrones. Yeah, right. They haven't Shit, done those in a while. Well, because the show's over. Well, they got a new Game of Thrones out, the prequel, oh. so why aren't they doing it? Who cares? <laughs> all right, so Deadly Friend. Let's talk about Deadly Friend. Let's talk Is about it, I think it's Wes Craven's Deadly Friend. Wes Craven's Deadly Friend. Well, so I will say that when the movie starts out, it really catches you by surprise, especially if you've like seen that poster, because the, the movie starts and it's really like, I want to preface this too by saying, Short Circuit came out in 1986 as well, uh, about five months prior to Deadly Friend, and this film, at least in the beginning, has a, a lot of similarities to Short Circuit. The only thing it's missing is the Gutenberg. That's true. It has a very whimsical score to it. It it almost it's almost like um, like if you take a lot of the '80s kids movies, but we're also marketed towards adults. Like kind of like Hocus Pocus is one of those that has like the how how dare you? Well, it has like that whimsical element to it. How dare you? It's that's 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 a straight and millennial. That's a '90s kid thing. Yeah, but I'm saying it has that whimsical melody to it when they're getting like they're they're, they're moving to a new house I love I love the fact that like yes I bought this house have you seen it not yet yeah no I mean <laughs> they're, they're looking I love for that it. I love I love that classic movie show oh we're moving to this new house where is it I don't fucking know I just we just bought it mailed mailed <laughs> I, do, I mailed I mailed the realtor they're like yeah yeah you sure you, you want to check it no no it's okay by sight unseen. There's no uh, no walkthroughs, no 
inspections, no nothing. It was just maybe she did see it, the mom. But I mean, at the same time, it feels like she didn't. She's like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna move here because you're going to Polytech University. Well, Polytech, just going to Polytech University. <laughs> the kid's real smart. Yeah, Paul. Paul is real smart. And as you said, which I think is a pretty apt um, comparison, he is a lot like like a um, Fred Savage, Fred or Ben Savage. Yeah, more like Fred. I guess you're right. Yeah, more like Fred Savage. Um, and you said John Mayer. And I guess I can see that, like a young John Mayer. John and and, and also similar to the main character from Gremlins. And you're wow, wow. What you're, you're just gonna say from main character from Gremlins? Yeah. And not say his fuck his actual name. Yeah. Say his name. No. Why not? Because I don't remember it off the top of my head. <laughs> Zach Galligan. Zach Galligan. Sorry. You fuck. Zach Galligan. Um, he like he has all those qualities, and it's definitely intentional here. Like. You can see that the production was shooting for, like, we need a kid who's going to be, you know, your gen- very generic 80s white kid. But he's not even a kid. He's 20 years old. He's coming fresh off the little house on the prairie. He's, just like, <laughs> he's not a kid. Yeah, no, but he is a kid. He's, like, 15. I know, but he plays. Yeah, <laughs> <so> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that the, the opening of the movie is really just a very weird, tonally shift, like, tonally different part of the movie than what we uh, will eventually get to like the opening first maybe half hour is like whimsical hey this kid paul he's super smart he's going to polytech he's he's actually he's actually um be leading classes at the he's, poly- built, he's built goddamn robot already he, yep he built the robot he, he's uh he saw Terminator and he's like, I can do better than that. He's he's performing a brain surgery on like uh, cadavers and doing it better than his professor. See again, I think I can't remember what film we were talking about, but we were talking about c- computers and like the human mind and it be. Oh, I think it was Rabbit. Maybe was it Rabbit? We were talking about basically how like it's a very old no scanners. Yeah, shoot. scanners. Yeah, yeah. It's a very old school like idea, like oh, the hu- computers are just like the human mind, like you know, it's all yeah. like neurology. So like he's not even a, like a comp science guy; he's a neurology guy, and he's like, oh yeah, I built a fucking robot too over here, you know? Right, like a say lot hi, of, a lot say of, hi, BB. A lot of the '80s movies treated computers um, as though they were like brains because there's electrical impulses and there are there's memory, and it's like whoa. That's what a computer has too. It has memory. It uses electricity. They're like exactly the same. And so the the whole premise of Deadly Friend really is based on the fact that like brains and computers are very similar. And this one kid who is like only 15 years old has now discovered something that, you know, scientists for generations have been unable to figure out by like just one time going into the brain of a cadaver and like shocking it. You know, because... Like He's also found his penis is working. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's, that's what every young boy needs to find out, too, though. It's like, one day, you just all of a sudden see, find out. Rock hard, it's working. 
You just, I say you just need to play the Jimmy the music uh, from the episode of South Park where Jimmy keeps getting boners in front of people, <laughs> and every time he does, you hear the little bell ring like tingling, <laughs> like you know, like as he's working on like the like BB, just be like, oh, he sees Sam tingling. Like, oh yeah, yeah, Christy oh, Swanson as Sam. She comes out in a very nice. Uh, she, it's not a sweater at first, right? What's she wearing? Like a, like a. It's an 80 sweater. 80 it's sweater, like, yeah, yeah. And those, you know, she, her breasts are definitely just prominent in that. And it's funny because you as a viewer recognize it. Paul recognizes it because you see the instant boner occur and the, the blood rush to his face. And the, that whole meet cue is, like, exactly very 80s because it's they have, like, this very awkward interaction with each other. Um, where Paul's she, like, hey, she, do you want to come over sometime? And she's like, yeah, maybe later. And he's like, no, no, no how she, about right she, now? No, she, no, she's the one that's like, hey, can I come over? Because her dad is now Yeah, call. that's true. Beats that's true her. Yeah. She's, she's like, hey, um, my dad beats me. Can I come over? And he's like, I don't know. And like, she's like, can I come over? And he's like, you got nice boobies. <laughs> yeah. Sure, come on, come on over. And that's what uh, that's what Paul's eventual friend Tom says too. I know, like, oh, have you met Sam? Yeah, isn't she cool? Yeah, nice tits. Great, he says. Great, and Paul's like, yeah, they are, aren't they? <laughs> um, very kind of awkward, especially as Christy Swanson was only sixteen here in this movie. But uh, I know usually they like upcast, like they always mm-hmm. use like a thirty-year-old, but not that's what they ch- chose for the men. And then here it's like, oh. yeah, a little, little creepy, a little creepy for sure. Uh, to have like that dialogue and to have Christy Swanson still being underage, but um, yeah, the, the in whole, some states, and and Just, and so it wouldn't be an '80s movie either without having, as you said, the one the alcoholic abusive dad, because that's that was that's, that's a, a very big thing. That's trademark. This time, alcoholism didn't show up until Reagan showed up. So, you know, this time, coincidence. Yeah, this time Wes goes a bit further, though. This is he's almost a pedophilic, alcoholic, abusive dad. So it's hinted. Yeah. It's oh, hinted. yeah. It's yeah. very, very <laughs> because like he's creeping into a room at night, and not only that, but like the whole element of being so um, protective, protective. Yeah, like coming over to somebody's house and like she needs to come home right now. Uh, yeah, that's. That's all very hinted at, but it doesn't go into it in in detail. Um, And the other thing that you really need in an 80s movie like this is the punks that are just driving around with their bikes. And this one has it as well. Random leather-clad asshole straight out of Fist of a North Star. I was really kind of not sure how old these guys were supposed to be because they all look like they're about 35 years old. Like... But they're heckling fifteen-year-olds. I was not. I I was a little bit confused about this part of it. <laughs> I like the main one with this fucking bangle earring that he's, <laughs> that he's got. Basically, they're just. <laughs> and these are all very like Stephen King tropes too, because like, no, it is. There's a lot of like yeah. uh, King, like you know, stereotypical King. Uh, tropes in this. I, like I said, like this film is like the in- perfect encapsulation of uh, like mid '80s filmmaking and storytelling. Because it, you're right. A lot of this, you could think like I'm watching it, 
but this time it's in the 80s instead of the 50s, you know? Mm-hmm. Or, like, again, like I said, the whole beginning of it is very short circuit. Like, you know, it has BB, this robot that Paul's built that kind of like tags along with them. They even, and you know what? It's, all, it's also very similar to E.T. in parts. Uh, like, they have Halloween night where they go trick or treating and BB kind of tags along. It's almost like E.T. tagging along on Halloween night. Um, and he gets blown up on Halloween night, but it has this very weird short circuit kids movie style thing that's going on at the beginning that kind of belies the real nature of this movie and is very, I don't know, like distracting from the actual horror elements that are supposed to come later. I I think, I think it's very tonally jarring. Like, especially when Sam has that dream where her father comes into her room and she ends up smashing the flower vase and stabbing him in the heart with it. And it's just blood pouring out of this flower vase all over her. Uh, it's a hilarious scene because he like he's doing it on purpose, like just bleeding all over her face. So do you want me to kind of spoil this part for you or no? Sure, yeah. Okay, so originally, because I, I, I for once, did my homework or I mm. um, I actually watched the extra features and read into it. Originally... Wes wanted this to be more focused on, like, the romance. He wanted it to be more based in reality because he wanted to prove he could do something besides horror. When Warner Brothers found out that, oh, Wes Craven does Wes Craven things, they want they rewrote the script, made him reshoot shit, and ended up adding a bunch of horror, bloody nonsense because we got Wes Craven. Mm-hmm. So, so that's how the total, you know, jarring came about. So you're is. saying, like, those short circuit style elements was what he in initially intended to do? Yes, it was more, supposed more to like be. that, which def- definitely makes sense because, like, for the first... And even so, like, some of those things are shoehorned in, which definitely makes sense that it could have been shot later on. Like, the, the, whole, like ending, the whole dream sequence is just yeah. shoved in there for no so, reason. No, no. So what happened was, originally, that first dream sequence was in there. And then it got the best reaction in screenings, and they said, we got to do fucking more of that. Mm. And so they went back and, like, I guess that's one of the, probably one of the reasons why we haven't really ever heard of this film or anything, because Wes has kind of disowned it from what, you know, the uh, uh, Shout Factory, Scream Factory, Blu-ray, the interviews and stuff I was reading, because... He wanted to do something more like Carpenter with Starman, like, you know, try to branch out and do something different. And they kind of saw, like, hey, we got fucking gold here with Wes Craven. Let's fucking go. And then, like, with the ending, the whole ending, I guess, is what something an executive pitched. And he's like, yeah, sure, whatever. Yeah. I mean, you, you could definitely tell that this had production meddling all over it because it really is, like I said, it's totally Seven John. films. It's you, seven different films. Yeah, it has so much in it. Like, the whole BB element in itself is, like, you know the short, short, a lot like short circuit, and could have been its own like standalone thing. You know of Paul dealing with BB and and like his relationship. That could have been one thing. But then you get this other thing where all of a sudden, and I will say too, I I do actually enjoy the fact that Christy Swanson is killed off fairly early in this movie because I do think that it that is a pretty shocking moment where you think like, oh Sam, you know, yeah, she has a alcoholic abusive dad, but she's probably going to get out from under that because Paul and it's his mom a, are there. It's such an a nice 80s touch too. Like when she comes in and she's bleeding from the nose and they're like icing her nose and she like the mom's like, "Listen, 
your dad beats your ass, doesn't she? <laughs> well, she tries she, to, she tries to do it very, very uh, nonchalantly at first. And then she's like, she, well, I know, but she's like, listen, I don't mean to pry, but your dad gave you this bloody nose, right? And she's like, no, I just get him all the time. And she's like, your dad whoops your ass, doesn't she? You know. Yeah. I seen him. Actually, the one night I was trying to go to sleep, and he threw a roundhouse kick and kicked, <laughs> kick, you know, kicked you five feet across the room. Like, I, but I don't want the cops to get involved. Yeah, and they kind of just like ignore it. Like, they, then they like, just come over. Like, they have like Thanksgiving, and they're there, and they're like, let's hope your father never wakes up <laughs> tonight. <laughs> Stuff like that. Um, and they kind of ignore it. And I guess you know that's kind of interesting too that. The film doesn't really ever bring it up, but like, are they culpable too? Because they didn't. I mean, really... by, by by modern day standards, absolutely. Yeah, they didn't do anything. They didn't. Tr- they you know, they knew about knew. it. But but like back then, it's like, oh, Dad's just a drunk. Like, that's not our business. Listen, yeah, and, if and, Dad and, wants to slap her around after a few Budweisers and uh, Johnny Bootleggers. Dad's business, not our. You no, know, that's that's where you'd add the laugh track and have like mom say, "Well, it's not under my roof," <laughs> you know, something like that. Oh, it's so every, funny that domestic think, abuse happens next door. Do you think every time he slaps her, you hear like Tiffany's? I think we're alone. Yeah, now. right. I mean, I think that the dad does a pretty good job of being like extremely like, uh, he's over very the Clint, top, very Clint Howard. Yeah, yeah. He has a like that very like extreme ruddiness too, like he just ran you know eight miles and then well, sweating I mean, profusely you, over her. If you're drinking Bud Heavy like that, then yeah, you're gonna feel yeah. like shit. But I do. I mean, I th- I think that that is an a surprising moment. Like you don't think that Sam's just gonna die right then and there, and the film kind of throws it at <laughs> to you. Be, to be fair, it's one. Of the- I feel bad for saying it, but it's fucking hilarious because when they're getting into it at the top of the staircase, he's like, where do you think you're going? You're a grateful bitch, and then just fucking hits her, and then she goes tumbling ass over tea kettle down the stairs, and what makes it funny is, like, the the stock sound effect that they use for him, like, literally just, like, punching her right in the fucking nose, and then his face as she goes tumbling down, like, oh, oh. Yeah, and, and I, I, I feel I feel bad really for laughing at it, but I laughed for fucking. I had to pause it. Like, I was laughing. <laughs> oh man! I mean, I think they did a like Christy Swanson did a pretty good job too. Like when she hits the wall, like you know something's really wrong because she does like that, like little twitch thing. You know, she's. she's like, it's not like just like oh yeah, okay, it's not like, okay yeah. It's not like in the movies where like they are immediately okay. They're like you know dazed, but they're like, did I just fall down fucking twenty stairs? I'm all right. I'm all right. You know. I like too that everyone knows in town that dad's drunk and abusive, and they load her up in the fucking ambulance, and he's like, "Up, oh, up, oh, fucking fell down the stairs." I don't know what to tell you, and you're like, <laughs> "I told her yeah. to move her, t- move her toys from the stairs." I guess dad's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah and there's that whole time where um, he, they're supposed to turn off the life support at nine o'clock, and her dad actually wants to turn it off earlier than that. Uh, like I don't know, it's like three minutes to nine or something like that. He's like, you might as well just turn it off now. And uh, the doctor's like, what a waste, and turns it off. It's kind of a kind of a funny scene. Uh, I just like how like the doctors kind of treat her like it's not like just she's not like a person. It's more like what a waste of a human body. 
But what? So what do you think about the whole turn that this movie takes? Like probably I don't know what is it like thirty minutes, forty minutes in, where after after Christy Swanson dies, you know it becomes like you said, welcome uh, <clears throat> weekend at Bernie's, um, where they have to go get her body from the the hospital morgue after she actually has you know died, and bring her back home and implant a like. You know, it's basically like a chip that was in BB uh, before BB was blown up, and they implant it into her brain, and basically gives her power with like this computer chip that is supposed to make her, you know, living, breathing human, but instead basically just makes her into a human robot. <clears throat> I liked it because I think it's a nifty idea. Obviously, that would tie in, especially after we get to see. Uh, poor BB gets shot up by shotgun by the irreplaceable Anne Ramsey. Uh, like, so, like, I get, like, where they're going from there. Like, so they're, like, going, like, you know, like, a Bride of Frankenstein kind of route. Mm-hmm. You know, tying in this, you know, the computer analogy. Um... But I don't think we really get to see enough of what they could have done with it because it ends up being just, you know, more Frankenstein than actual uh, involvement with everyone. So, I think it's like a nice new kind of take on it. Like, kind of like not that as well executed as it possibly could have been. And I also think, too... Uh... How how they get there is kind of you know, a little eh, you know, <laughs> right, a little sus, but yeah, I mean, I th- I think like I think it's a cool like you said, it's a cool idea. It's like it's an interesting idea to have to take this like computer chip, try to implant it in, and it's it kind of brings up similar ideas to like H.P. Lovecraft style stories because you know Reanimator is like another form of this storyline right like reanimator itself is about a guy who comes up with a serum that he can inject into a dead person to bring them back to life and you know that's basically what this movie is like instead of a serum it's a computer chip and so it's kind of um it's literally just missing uh either fred gwynn or john lithgow going dead about it (laughs) right yeah i mean Dad about a dad. <laughs> it it's it's definitely like got all of those elements to it, you know, pet cemetery elements, bring, just bring back bring the dead back to life. And, and there's a whole part about and within Deadly Friend where you could see Paul really just can't give up this this the feeling that he needs to save Sam I and mean, like he can't well, do it. He's got his first boner. He's got a That's true. And she does she does like right before this happens give him a nice little they do like share a kiss. Yeah. And yeah. so like he's how dare she go and die to her goddamn alcoholic father if he's, like, that rock hard. He's got to get his rocks off. That's right. I, I mean, I, I like the, the whole, um, like, Ocean's Eleven-style plan to get into the hospital and stuff. <laughs> Which, by the way, too, props to the film for actually having a staffed hospital. Like sure. Because at first I was, around. like, when, when they were walking around and stuff, I thought, you know... It was a bunch of Falderall and nonsense. Like, oh, they're down in the basement. No one's there. But when the alarm hits, like, there's a whole bunch of people there. It's like, thank you. For once, there's a goddamn 
staffed hospital in America. Yeah, even even though it's uh, nine o'clock at night, there's still people there. Just like, common like, for a hospital. <laughs> like what a time to be alive! Like they actually have the hospitals uh, staffed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I like that part. I think it's cool, I, and I like towards the end where Tom's like, you know, he he's kind of been roped into this with Paul and. He's like, I, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Like, this has gotten too out of control for me. We're drugging your mom. We're breaking and entering into a hospital. We're stealing a dead body now. Um, I like that, you know, that idea of, of Tom, you know, being out. He doesn't want any more to do with it. Um, but I do think that this is where the film kind of loses control of where it's going, and that's probably due to like the production meddling. But uh, once we get to the part where uh, Christy Swanson's character comes back to life. There's some really just odd choices to what's happening in the movie. Uh, so for one thing, like I under, I guess I understand what they're trying to go for here with the blue eyeshadow. Like they wanted her to give her like a sort of like an undead decaying look like, Hey, look at her. Some of her veins and stuff are coming through. Um, it's not I, well. It's not well executed. Yeah, uh, no. It's like it's, it's it's like a nice idea, but it looks like she's going to like an '80s club, really. You know, with she's like she's gonna uh, go listen to Tom Tom Club. And, yeah, you know, like the, just smeared blue eyeliner on there. Um, so I really don't understand that choice at all. And and here's where the the film really loses me tonally because it does start to get a lot more serious. But at the same time, it doesn't play itself very seriously either. Like, it's, it almost plays out tongue-in-cheek. But I don't think that was the intention. I think it was meant to be serious and kind of scary. And, like, I don't... It just makes a lot of weird decisions. Um, you know, especially having, like, Christy Swanson attempt to be BB in some cases. Like, she has the Spock hands going on at all times here. And, like, she's doing robot maneuvers at sometimes. Constantly constantly spocking the entire time like, yeah you know. but but did you notice too like the the robot maneuvers are only it they're like here and there it's not like it's very consistent where she's like constantly doing like the swivel of her head or anything like that it's it's all very whenever they feel like it <laughs> she does robot maneuvers um i think she's she like she's game to do this stuff and i do appreciate that like she's definitely uh seems into the part but I, I just think it comes off really cheesy most of the time, um, especially with like the makeup effects. I don't really think those are working out the way they wanted them to. If that, if they truly meant to go with like she's undead, she's decaying, but you know, she still looks like a person, and it didn't turn out very well. But that does lead us to the deaths in this movie because uh, Sam wants to get revenge on the people that. Uh, kind of wronged her in the past and one of those people is Elvira the mean old lady that's down the street who won't let them come in and get their basketball it's like straight out of like a cartoon a kid's cartoon of like oh, the... do you think it's her or BB well in this case like she, it's both right like because like Sam has those memories of her father has to take revenge on him but then BB has those memories of Elvira and they're kind of linked together so I think it's like a combination of both at that point you know, it's Sam's brain, but also BB's computer chip that's, like, kind of doing the computing. And as Paul says, the computer chip is really just supposed to route the damaged parts of Sam's brain. So, like, 
you know, the synapses and stuff, it, it goes through the computer chip so it can find like an alternative path in her brain. Uh, it's not working very well, <laughs> of course. Um, Paul didn't say it was going to make a perfect human again, but uh, I think that's what it's getting at, really. Yeah, it's like you have BB and was, you have Sam. He, I was say, he was just thinking of his weenie. He's like, as long as she's, she's warm. <laughs> a war- we, we've, as long as we've got her, we have to get her back home, get her in a warm environment, and then put this chip in so that she maintains, you know, normal body temperature. We're good to go. Like, like even Tom was like, "What are you doing, Paul?" He's like, "I'm, I did it all for the nookie." Should be deadly friend, a necrophiliac story. Um. Yeah, but we, that brings us to like the scene with Elvira where Sam goes into the house, and this is the Mimi part. This is the the thing that kind of shows up every now and then. It's it's pretty hilarious from Deadly Friend is when she takes the basketball and just whips it at Elvira. Oh, and her fucking head her goes whole up. Whole like head it. explodes. <laughs> it's awesome. It's one of the best parts. Of the right, right. I mean, it is. It's hilarious. It's got great effects. Um, Obviously, if you were to watch it in like slow motion, you could see the dummy. But I think in fast motion, it's really pretty seamless uh, uh, transition between you know exploding dummy head and the real actress. Uh, I think they did a good job of that. I think the poor, I was say poor Anne Ramsey just lived her life to be like bitchy, the bitchy woman in the movie. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I think they did a pretty good job overall with the gore effects too. Like it, it does seem like they they wanted gore, but they also wanted like a very cheesy, campy element to this movie. So they weren't really sure what to settle on. Um, another scene that I, th- I think is really funny in this movie too is when um, Tom and Paul are fighting on the lawn, and Tom's like, "I'm gonna go to the police." Paul's like, "No, you're not. You don't know what you're doing." And then Sam jumps through the window upstairs. Like, does, like, a whole somersault through the front window and then lands on the grass and, like, starts choking Tom. It's a great moment, too. Because this this movie just has a lot of those moments of, like, batshit insanity. Um, And that's probably the main reason why you'd watch Deadly Friend. Because I don't really think it's a good movie. It's not, like, quote-unquote a good movie. Um, It can be a fun movie at times. um, And it can be entertaining. But I don't think it's a good movie. Um, what else did you want to talk about? So, would you? So, what did you think overall of uh, the, the miming aspect that she was doing? You know, for the second half of the film, the yeah, the spot cans and stuff. Yeah, I just think I think it's really inconsistent. Like I said, I think she's she's game to do it, but I, I don't even know if it's really a failing of Christy Swanson. I think it's a failing of production to say, "Hey, do this through the whole movie." I think it's just kind of stupid, you know, because. I she guess had, I, apparently, allegedly, they had a. She learned from a mime. They had a, a hmm. pro mime on set. Yeah, I did see that. I did see that in the credits. It says like, um, like trainer for Christy Swanson's miming or something like that. Yeah, I did see that. Um, I I think it's really inconsistent, and I don't see that it's. I mean, I guess it was necessary because at the towards the end of the movie, you do see like BB, Sam, BB, whatever you want to call them they look in the mirror and she sees herself and she sees like, Oh, I'm not BB. Like I'm not the robot. And so it's like, Oh, she's been acting like the robot. Cause she thinks she's the robot still. I, I get that. I just, I think that the miming 
is probably a little too much <laughs> for this movie. It unnecessary. But uh, yeah, I don't know. What'd you think of poor Dad getting uh, thrown against a boiler? Actually, I love which, that which, scene. I think it's pretty good scene. Which is very, which is very, you know, a Nightmare on Elm yep. Street esque. Like he's oh, again, yeah. once again, aping from a nightmare, and then like, like, oh, this guy's like Freddy Krueger. He's a drunk pedophile and uh, meets his match by a boiler. Yeah, I like that scene. I think that's pretty cool. Like it's, uh, it's got a nice, nice uh, element to it down in the boiler room. You know, you have you have the hot from the boiler so it's kind of like another atmospheric element to it i like that i think it was i think they did a good job and then i like how paul comes in later on and he's just like well i guess i'm throwing him in the coal mine there you know it just acts like it's pretty normal normal uh friday night shoving him down eh? yep yep what do you think of any of the music in the film um like it has most like the first part of it is very whimsical. Um, the second part has more of like the traditional horror element to it. I wouldn't say overall that I really found it um, memorable at all, really. You know, it ha- like a, I think it has a very generic quality to it, especially like the first element of whimsy that is pretty much in every single like 80s uh, children's movie at that point. But um, just not memorable. But, uh, yeah. No, you're right. It, it's very. Uh, let's just say it's very. It's very like muted, because there's a lot of parts where you'd expect like you know when there's like little fist fights getting between Paul and Tom, you would expect like a dun dun dun, dun, dun you know, like kind of like, and they just let let it go without any music. Um, it's very simple, like synth beats. There's nothing really that stands out. Um, all, like, once again, all I could kind of think of while watching the film, and when we see the Sam bits uh, or and BB, how they see the world, that nice CRT vision. Yep. Like how they how they even see anything like a fucking modern day miracle. Um, but the music overall, I, I think you know, there's not nothing's gonna stand out. You're not gonna. There's not going to be anything for you to kind of go back to and be like, wow, I, this is a memorable part, you know, of the film. It's just, I'm kind of thankful that it's kind of more muted, too, because even with its muted sin score overall, it's, uh, not, not a single th- track sticks out in my mind. Mm. I'm actually curious. I'm curious what the book that this was based on is like. Uh, it's called Friend by Diana Hen- Henstel, and I'm I'm wondering if you know it kind of goes more serious than what Deadly Friend does because I feel like Deadly Friend for all of its um like it does have seriousness towards the end especially like with, with Sam dying and stuff like that but I wouldn't call it overall a very serious movie. Um, it sounds like Friend is more serious and kind of um, tragic than what Deadly Friend actually shows us so I'm, I'm interested in that the other thing that i um i'm curious about is what you thought about the end of the movie where it turns like they they give us almost what seems like a dream sequence um where paul goes back into the hospital again um getting uh sam's body and she's actually like kind of decays into a robot and that's where it ends 
you think about that? I know. It's like the weirdest fucking ending. And then you get the beep, 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 Which I guess that whole ending, too, with her turning into a robot is more studio meddling. The executive suggested, like, well, what if she turns into the actual robot at the fucking end? <laughs> yeah, you said that was that was like a production thing, right? Like a, yeah, a producer like they, like yeah, like that wasn't actually that wasn't in the script or anything. Like that was pitched and I had they had to go. Yeah, sure, okay, whatever. Yeah, I I mean I I think it's it's pretty ridiculous um to end it on that note, and it does seem like a dream sequence, but um I I I feel like the whoever came up with that idea was like had seen. And I'm right on Elm Street, and they're like, "Oh, that ends on a sting, right? That ends where you know it, it seems like it's a dream, yet. but it might not be." And let's do this that here too. And so the only thing they could think of was to turn Sam into an actual robot. It's kind of it's very silly, but um, that's production for you. It's, it's when people with the money make the decisions. That's what you get. <laughs> um. And that's pretty much all I got about Deadly Friend. I mean, I, I, it's kind of a fun movie. It's kind of a stupid movie. And overall, I found it to be uh, kind of long, even at 90 minutes. But I guess we'll leave that to the um, to the rating. So on a scale of uh, 0 to 10 uh, lockpicking scenes with BB, what would you give Deadly Friend? I'll give it a 7 out of 10. I actually thought this film was pretty fun, despite the fact that it's incredibly schizophrenic, that it's totally deaf, um, kind of understanding uh, some of the production history kind of makes it, you know, more tolerable to kind of understand. Um, it's a fun little romp. It's like the weirdest mix of A Weekend at Bernie's Weird Science, Short Circuit, Nightmare on Elm Street, mix that you're ever going to get in your life. It's fun. It's, it's you know, it's definitely not offensive. There's nothing groundbreaking. The ideas are kind of cool, but just, you know, they don't get the chance to kind of be anything more than they are. And like I said, because of what they are trying to do and kind of some of the meddling in it, I... I definitely find it, you know, a much more, you know, forgiving of a film. It's enjoyable enough. The uh, horror effects and gore in it are, for th- though not being the main sticking point of why you're supposed to be watching the film, are very enjoyable and well done. Um, I think overall it is pretty well acted throughout. Um, obviously, I would say that uh, Christy Swanson is star of the show she does a very good job in her first leading major leading role in the film so yeah i i would probably say seven i think it's you know a pretty good film i can see why it's definitely like the a forgotten Wes craven film and how it's been lost kind of time but it's definitely there's it's not offensive there's nothing that's going to make you aggravated and i think your enjoyment's kind of going to vary on how much you kind of stick to enjoying the wacky concept itself and the people in it and I lean more to enjoying it so 7 out of 10 I would give this one like a 5.5 out of 10 I didn't really enjoy it that all that much I thought it was 
like really long-winded even at like 90 minutes I, I, I thought it just went on and on and on and uh, I was ready for it to end um, at the end of the movie I think that it does a fairly good job um, at the beginning of the movie like I kind of was in more interested in seeing what Wes Craven would do with sort of like a whimsical Steven Spielberg-esque movie about a, ro a kid and his robot <laughs> rather than any horror elements that came up later on in the movie um, so I was kind of disappointed when it took a turn, but I do think that it does a pretty good job with like setting up Sam's death. It's kind of surprising when that happens. And, uh, I think that overall the cast does a pretty good job with what they're given. I think Paul, the guy who plays Paul, Matthew Laberto, um, I think he does a pretty good job and I like the guy who plays Tom too, Michael Sherritt and the mom and Toomey is really good too. Um, I think Christy Swanson does a, a pretty good job, especially when she's, you know, normal Sam. Um, I think they went a little too far on directing her when it when she was like robot Sam. And I don't think the mime was needed. <laughs> that seems like the mime needed a job. And someone was like, hey, we've got a job for you. She's a, she's playing a robot in this movie. It's like, I've got this. I'll teach her how to do a robot. Spock hands. Um, but other than that, I, th I mean, I think that the film is overall pretty well, pretty well done. It's pretty well made. Um, it certainly shows that Wes Craven had a budget at this time and knew what to do with it. Um, and it has some pretty good gore effects. But I just think that overall, the storyline isn't really that interesting. It's been done quite a bit better in other stuff like Reanimator. Um, and I was, I, I just want to see a movie where Wes Craven makes a love story that he wanted to make instead of being forced into doing things by production. I don't think this is one of his better movies. I think it's fun enough, and I think the fact that it's kind of in the oddball in Wes's uh, filmography, you know, makes it enjoyable. Mm. Yeah, I could see that. Because, I, I mean, even though it's the failed star man, like, you know, which, again, that that's a Carpenter film we haven't done yet. But, I mean, even though, like, it's the failed star man of like, his canon, uh, you can see where he's kind of going and, you know, how it kind of went off the rails. That doesn't affect my enjoyment, you know. I still think it's, you know. Though there are times, I agree, where the film does feel interminable. Like you're watching like, a two-hour film instead of a 90-minute film. Mm -hmm. I, I, I do think it's, like, again, like a harmless enough romp to where, like... Is it Return of the Living Dead? No. But, you know, it's got, like, elements of it that you can find, you know, to be enjoying. Yeah. All right, so that you know what that means is we finish another Craven movie. We're we're back on the Cronenberg train next week. <laughs> you're sighing. You you're not the fan of Cronenberg that we were hoping you'd be from this. Uh, I was hoping too, but you know what? Like all his films are such a. Well, Scanners wasn't like bad, bad, but like you know it wasn't. I don't know how people sit down and like I gotta fucking watch this movie. So let's see if fucking Videodrome, that's his biggest, so let's see if Videodrome's gonna be finally the one that's gonna make me be like, this man's a fucking genius. I think you'll like it. I definitely enjoyed this one. This is one of my favorite Cronenberg movies um, ever since I saw it back in college. And I am hoping that you enjoy it. And I'm hoping that I enjoy it again, because I only saw it that one time, so I really, like... <laughs> It would be a surprise to me if I watched it again and be like, that was terrible. 
I didn't like that at all. I think it's mainly because rabbits left such a bad taste in my mouth because, like, it's such the like one of the most pedantic pandemic, you know, zombie films ever. Yep. Yep. With the fucking goofball, goddamn alien xenomorph coming out of your armpit to infect you. The yeah, scanners, I, scanners wasn't bad. I, don't, I can't remember what the hell I gave it, but I don't remember thinking like it was awful. But it wasn't. I don't think anything like outside of Michael Ironside being awesome with his hair. Uh, yeah, being no, anything like you know, great. I, I mean, I I have enjoyed the Cronenberg movies for the most part so far, and I like Videodrome, so I think we should. I I should be all set. But I am curious to see what you think about it and. And and also, we do have to talk about the elephant in the room in Videodrome, James Woods, who is just has been t- has taken up the uh, mantle of being an insufferable asshole online. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> we have to reconcile that when we talk about Videodrome. I say I say it a lot because. Uh... There's a lot of insufferable assholes online. Sure, yeah. <laughs> so if, if you're saying, like, oh, James Woods. There, like, I like to, uh, every now and then, I just like to go on Twitter and just send a tweet out that says, just a reminder, James Woods is a fucking asshole. The poor man's 75 and senile. Leave him alone. I I should add Kevin Sorbo to my list of people that I just tweeted Wow. Why don't, you just hate, <laughs> why don't you just hate America? <laughs> yeah, right. I should add him to it. And just do that every now and then. It's not fair to James Woods. I just do James Woods. Kevin Sorbo is maybe more deserving. So Kevin Sorbo is a legend and deserves your goddamn respect. <laughs> when, are we, when are we gonna review all of Hercules and Xenia? Yeah, we should do that at some point. No, not not yeah. When? when? <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for listening to our episode on Deadly See, Friend. It means we're never gonna. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Uh, we will be back with Craven some Cronenberg next week. We're doing Videodrome, so you'll definitely want to tune in for that. You can find us on pretty much any podcasting app that you can think of. We're on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, home base at anchor.fm, uh, Good Pods. And you can leave us a nice review. That always helps us out with the algorithms. Uh, we are on Facebook and Twitter. Just search for us on there, Blood and Black Rum Podcast. Uh, we do have an email address at bloodandblackrumpodcast at gmail.com where you can write to us, let us know what you like, what you don't like. Um, any movies that you want us to watch, and we'll definitely take that into consideration. And we also have a <laughs> Patreon page at patreon.com slash bloodandblackrumpodcast where you can donate to us, and we'll put that back towards beer. So thanks a lot in advance. Anything else you want to add before we close up shop? Oh my god, Kevin Smith played Ares and Hercules? <laughs> Just doing some Hercules research, I guess, well, I mean, for the gonna, upcoming episodes. We're going to be doing. It's not. The, it's listen. It's only 111 episodes. <laughs> <long>. <laughs> 111 hours of my life. I don't need to relive. What do you mean? It's a Sam Raimi production. Bruce Campbell is littered about. True. What do you? What do you? What do you mean? True. And then we, and then we can go to Xenia. Would you would you rather watch what Firefly? Um, yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen it, but I know a lot of people like it because it's like Cowboy Bebop. 
All right. Well, I guess that's it then. So thanks for listening to our episode uh, from the Sim, the Craven Sim Cronenberg month. And we hope to see you back. Until then. Take care.